the connection to the land and my animals that I have is something that I couldn't have prepared myself for. Mm. I think when our land suffers or when an animal suffers or we lose an animal, um, it's definitely part of the journey and it's something that is quote unquote normal, but I feel it. And, um, I feel it on a different on a different level than I would have even understood I could. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. Jessica Jagger always wanted to live on a farm, but didn't know how it would happen until the pandemic struck. She shares her incredible story of being thrust into the world of food and farming, the one that she always wanted to be a part of as a result of COVID. Join us in this conversation near Spokane, Washington. Again, Jessica Jigger is her name. She and her husband have Your Friends Farm. And we had a great conversation right on the farm, right where they do farm-to-table dinners. Here on the Real Food, Real People podcast, I'm Dylan Honkoop, documenting my journeys all over Washington State to get to know the real people behind our food. So when you were young, growing up, Mm Did you ever expect that you would one day call yourself a farmer? Not quite like this, no. <laughs> I always uh, thought, I always pictured myself on a farm. Like if I was going to dream, I would dream and picture myself on a farm someday. But I myself was never the farmer in those dreams. I thought maybe I'd marry a farmer, which obviously didn't happen. Right. Um, although my husband is becoming a farmer. Um, <laughs> but I thought maybe I'd marry into a farm family. You know, that would right. be the option if that happened. So you did like the idea of the farm life. Oh, yeah. But you weren't living... Yeah, because you grew up in my same town. Yeah. But I didn't really know you at that time at all. What What was your family up to? Yeah, so... Grew um, up in a farming community. I did. My dad is a farm equipment mechanic in town. Marty Alba's his name. He's uh, top of his game, best guy in the world. And we grew up on the corner of my grandparents' 100-acre farm on Pole Road. Um, and it was a magnificent childhood. Um, we had lots of room to free range and we grew up on everybody else's farm, going to farm calls with my dad and fixing tractors or filling in when they'd be out of town or if they needed something real quick. And so I definitely fell in love with the idea of farming um, as a kid. But you didn't see yourself as a farmer. What did you see yourself as? A wife, probably, yeah. or a mom, which I am yeah. both of those things, yeah. you know. But I I didn't have... Um, then I'm sure there were female farmers that existed that were farming and yeah. doing the farm chores and the work on the farm. But I didn't know of anyone. Yeah. And um, so that wasn't even a, a reality or something that I could even imagine. It wasn't something I saw. So... Um, yeah, in my mind, I lived on a farm and I enjoyed the magic of it, but I, d- I didn't do the farming myself. And I want to get to your whole journey from there sure. to here. Mm-hmm. But first, let's jump ahead. Talk yeah. about your farm now. What do you guys do here? Yeah, so uh, we grow pastured everything. So pastured pork, pastured poultry. We obviously do grass-fed beef. Mm. Um, we've got turkey. We have uh, lamb is my is my absolute love and the thing I hope grows more. Um, mm. Everything gets rotated here on pasture. And uh, we try to give everything a really good life. And in doing that, we think that the product that we produce or the food that leaves the farm is that much better because of mm-hmm. the love and attention that's been given. So... I think there's even been studies about that, like the more human interaction there is with the growing of the food for whatever reason, I don't know if they've figured out exactly what it is, does come through 
in the quality of the food. 100%. And I think that that's true. And uh, so nothing leaves. Uh, We try to have everything born here on the farm as much as possible and uh, be also processed and have its last day here on the farm as much as possible. And so um, our butcher comes here and and does um, that last butcher date. And um, so it's just a very, uh, it's a full circle approach. And mm-hmm. we try to not only market that, but we also try to teach about that and what the benefit is, even to my own life. So I think as a farmer, it's important that what you're doing every day, 70, 80 hours a week, is something that you really believe in and you enjoy. Yeah. And for me, that means uh, that our animals live this way and uh, end their life this way. So so how do you grow all this stuff? How do you get it onto people's plates? That's, yeah. That can be a challenging part. And there are a lot of people who grow food, but then, you know, either you go into the bigger like commodity system mm-hmm. and sell to, you know, a packer process or whatever. Sure. Or if you're growing on a small farm like you guys, it's like you pretty much got to market it yourself. Yeah, 100%. And that is a large part of my job and something that I never... It was interesting. I said to Brian, maybe a few months, that's my husband, a few months into this, I said, we didn't only start a farm, like I started a business. And he's like, yeah, yeah, you did. And that was the part that I didn't really realize until it happened. So a large part of my job is marketing. And uh, in this day and age, quote unquote, it's, it's a lot of social media. It's a lot of answering questions. It's a lot of being a part of people's lives in every day, Hmm. which isn't, um, probably how most people have farmed up until the last few years. And I think most still aren't, you know, it's what you said, this, the farming and ag market is, um, an anonymous market, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, A farmer is often, uh, anonymous to the consumer and, um, the consumer is often anonymous to the farmer. Right. And as a small farmer, we can't be like that and nor do we want to. So, well, and that's what we're trying to do with this podcast too, is introduce the world to these farmers, make them no longer anonymous, you know, big or small to capture those stories. Uh, Wow. Becoming a business as well as a farm. That's Mm -hmm. interesting because you know, when that comes up, and usually it's talking about bigger farming. It's reminding people like farmers, they don't just grow food. They have to run a business and, you know, they have to make sure that they don't like go bankrupt. And, right. You know, minor stuff like that. Yeah. But I think the perception is, well, yeah, you're just talking about big farms. But small farms are just idyllic and people grow food. Yes, they are idyllic and people grow food, mm-hmm. but they're still a business too. Right. Because you kind of can't survive without that whole pesky money thing. Right. We have to feed our animals and that costs money, obviously. Yeah. And uh, then we have to sell those animals that are that food afterwards. And the idea is to not pay for your food for you. <laughs> like our idea yeah. is that we need to not only pay for what we're doing here, but also make money too. Um, and that yeah. is something that makes people uncomfortable. I don't know why, um, mm-hmm. but it's the long and short of it. And yeah. so um, right now on our farm, you know, I... I work full time here as a farmer and my husband has a job off the farm full time to support us. Um, I'm not supporting us at this point, Mm -hmm. you know, but we are breaking even on our costs. Good. Uh, Hey. Yeah. (laughs) I may feel like, oh, we're just barely breaking even. Sadly, that's better than quite a few farms can say on yeah, we, certain years, we you know, feel, big or small. <laughs> yeah, we feel quite blessed to be able to say that this year. Yeah. It's our second year in business and it seems like a huge feat. So, yeah. People just think about that breaking even 
all the work that goes into it. Yeah. But you're trying to build something too. Yes. And I think people shouldn't take that for granted is you're investing these years of breaking even now in hopes that it becomes more. Yeah. Otherwise you could say, well, I'm breaking even, so I'll just stop doing this. Right. What would your customers say about that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that that would make most people in life very um, comfortable to say that, oh, we're just in it to break even forever. I mean, that's not yeah. that's not the goal. And we're also not in it to become these financial giants, you know, right. of like I'm not right. planning on taking over, you know, the food world here on my small piece of property, you know. Um, but I do hope to make a difference in our community with what we have to supply and to show people that there's another option. So. So who are your customers? What are they like? What yeah. do they say about your farm? Yeah, so uh, our customers are primarily from Spokane City and the city of Spokane. And Which is about how far away? About how? 30 minutes from 30 here. 30-minute drive. Yeah, and um, it's we seem in Spokane, it's a big, big city, and everything is very centralized and very convenient. Every neighborhood has a grocery store. You know, there's several Costco's. There's It's a big city, you know, and um, so they have options to get food a lot more conveniently than what we yeah. we can do you know obviously um, but we started out in the city when we moved to Spokane we lived in the city and I fell in love with that community um, I think what we have found uh, by experiencing again living as a city dweller but also as running a rural business is that Spokane likes to support local um, they have a high standard though. And so we know that we know they have a high standard for quality and that shouldn't be something that puts us off. That should be something that we strive to yeah. meet. And it is, um, so far two years in, people are really happy with the difference. I have kids that call our lettuce magic lettuce. They've never eaten lettuce before. They don't like it. And we give them, um, some bib lettuce and they, they literally call it magic lettuce. I have a girl or her dad is a fantastic gardener and Abby says that our carrots are much sweeter than his. <laughs> What's the secret? Yeah. And, and so I often say, you know, on our Instagram and in general is, you know, our smallest friends are our favorite. If you can get your kids to eat veggies, I want to be a part of that story, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, and our meat is no different. You know, we offer a story here. We don't hide what we do. We don't pretend that we don't eat these animals that we are growing. That's a huge deal. Yeah. So education's a huge part of that. And um, our friends, the, the friends that support the farm, they're happy to know that part of the story. And for most of them, it's not something they've ever been a part of. I guess I, I never mentioned that earlier. The name of the farm is Your, Your Friends, Friends Farm. farm. Yeah. 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 For people who may be interested in looking it up online or yes. on Instagram. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll have you repeat that before we get done, too, just to remind sure. people so they can check your stuff out. Um, talk about the, the whole meat thing. Meat has become controversial. Mm -hmm. On one hand, there's this big push against meat. Meat is bad. Mm -hmm. kind of as a blanket statement yeah and at the same time there's this growing movement towards natural meat-based diets that are lower carb higher fat and protein yeah. as people are discovering the health benefits of that it's kind of a weird dichotomy right now yeah it's uh we're in an interesting season of food i think where we're villainizing different types of food we're making mm. we're creating a hierarchy of this is good food and this is bad food this is healthy food this is unhealthy food and i kind of refuse to be a part of that <laughs> um i want to tell people why we grow the way we do we grow grass-fed beef here i think it 
creates a really nice lean product. And I want people to understand that. I don't want to tell them why they should or shouldn't eat grain-fed beef, right. you know, or grain-finished beef. And so we really try to educate them on all the options on the market when I'm talking about it. Yeah. Um, I have friends that grow grain-fed, grain-finished beef, and I think it's delicious. <laughs> There's mm -hmm. nothing wrong with it. It's perfectly healthy for us. And so here on the farm, I want to talk more about the differences in how we raise our animals, how we treat our animals, the touch and the care we're allowed to give by being a small operation versus a big. Yeah. But um, I buy meat from other farms. Mm -hmm. You know, we didn't have pork yet this year. I bought pork from a girl in Ford, Washington, whom I love. And I will promote that until the ends of the earth. Yeah. And they grow very differently than we do, you know, and that's fine. So for meat here on the farm, we talk about what it means to have a pastured animal. All our chickens are free range from our meat chickens to our egg layers and why we do that. For us, it's a matter of life, you know, mm -hmm. it's a happy life for our chickens to be able to scratch and peck in the dirt. We think that's the best life we can offer them. I think there's a chicken doing that, right? Yeah, right Over there. there. Yeah, see, and right uh, here. Yes, there are chickens everywhere. Scratching and packing on the picnic table, but. <laughs> No, so that's where we come at that meat um, argument or controversy that's being offered yeah. is we really want to encourage people to see their food as safe and yeah. um, see their food as accessible and see our, their food as holding value. And um, so that's what we that's what we do here when we talk about meat. And obviously your customers love it. They do. Yeah. We have people that are bought grass-fed meat, so this is kind of a little funny story, but we sold our first beef off the farm this spring. Her name was Buttercup, and um, some friends of my daughter bought a quarter of this cow. So we don't sell um, parts and pieces. We only sell portions. So um, you can't just buy a steak from us, you yeah. know. You Back to this custom exempt versus USDA stuff yeah, that we've we... talked about with other guests. If you want to check it out, talk to you. Well... Go to check out some of the butcher episodes on the podcast. Oh, They'll explain that it's very complicated, especially in the state of Washington. Yes, yes. And so we don't get mixed up in that. We just sell portions right now, so you can buy a quarter, a half, or a whole beef. So we sell a quarter of a beef to my friend and um, a friend of Grace's and. Uh, she's over at their house and they say, oh my goodness, we're just loving this beef, Grace. And Grace said, oh, I didn't realize you got some of Buttercup. <laughs> silence like you hear a pin drop in the room <laughs> it's like this is how we're this is how we're trying to educate our customers yeah. as food with a face that has a name yep. and is raised for a purpose to nourish our bodies yep. and that's also how we're raising our kids at this point is yeah. to like not be ashamed of that so know? that was a little hard for them to be like oh yeah, because some people like want to know the name of the chicken or the cow that they're eating yeah other people are really turned off by that because they're they just like, I don't want to think about this being... Yeah, I wouldn't say they were turned off. I think it was more just, again, this like shift, of, a mind shift of like, oh yeah, this was like, we're not just talking about a pound of hamburger. Like yeah. we're talking about a real life animal that lived mm -hmm. on your farm that is now in serving my family by feeding it in my freezer. So there's a shift there that has to happen for all of us as consumers, I think. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that on a larger scale though? I think that's the struggle. Yeah. I, uh, I don't think the larger farmers have time to do this work, and um, right. I understand that. I mean, if you're running hundreds of head of beef, it's really difficult, you know, and for them to be using the means of education that we're using now via social media is like, 
No, that's like an impossible thing to, you know, incorporate into your business model. Mm -hmm. But I think there are some of us smaller farmers that have a real opportunity to change some of that as cons for consumers um, and to help encourage that shift. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Quickly want to thank our sponsors here on the podcast, making this all possible. Uh, the Great Washington Shakeout uh, is a sponsor for a few weeks here uh, ahead of the big event that's actually happening this week on Thursday, October 20th at 10.20 a.m. 10.20 on 10.20. Pretty sneaky. The Great Washington Shakeout's all about preparedness for earthquakes, um, whether it's the big one that we all in the Pacific Northwest hear about and fear or something smaller it's, it pays to be ready. Last year, more than 1.3 million people uh, signed up to participate in the Great Washington Shakeout. You can this year as well at shakeout.org slash Washington at 1020 a.m. on Thursday of this week, 1020. Um, they're encouraging people to drop, cover, hold on to whatever they have around them uh, at work, home, school, walking in the park, or in a shopping mall. Um, they say that practicing builds muscle memory for when the real earthquake comes. And that's something that you're going to want to have. Um, we don't want to become complacent here in the Pacific Northwest where the threat of that is, is very real. Again, the Great Washington Shakeout sponsoring the podcast this week coming up on 10:20 at 10:20 a.m. that's this thursday also washington red raspberries thank you to them for their support of the podcast um, they've been supportive over the years mana insurance group sponsoring what we do here as well manainsurancegroup.com is their website you know they're insurance folks and really what they're all about is protecting and having a plan to protect your family's financial future uh, whether it's your farm your home your auto, life insurance, how, there's so many things. They do it all at Mana Insurance Group. Again, check them out online at manainsurancegroup.com. Finally, Dairy Farmers of Washington supporting the podcast. A big thank you to them for their continued support right from the very beginning of what we're, we've been doing here. Uh, you can check that, them out online at wadairy.org. They've got a great website with tons of great information about real Washington dairy products, how they're produced, and about the people that produce them, and the sustainability, the, the mindset that goes into that. Now we get back to our conversation with Jessica Jagger near Spokane, Washington, here on the Real Food, Real People podcast. So let's go back to your story. Yeah. You, you and your husband, Brian, high school sweethearts. Yes. In high school, about the same time as I was, so I... I played football with your husband yes. in high school, you know, yes. all that kind of stuff. But from there, what, what's, what was the journey? Again, you weren't planning on becoming a farmer yourself per no. se. Mm -mm. And he, what, after college ended up in the corporate world, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's always, he's worked corporate since, um, yeah, since out of, out of school. Um, and we lived in our hometown in Linden, Washington. And uh, I was an in-home chef and Brian worked a corporate a corporate job um, and at that time when I started my business um, I sourced everything from within 15 miles of where we served it so wow. I worked directly with farmers just like 
just like I am now, mm -hmm. small farmers for meat and for veg and for anything else we could source local, we did it. And it was awesome. I could tell our customers and our clients where things came from. Um, when was that? Like what year? about this was about 15 years ago when i started yeah. doing that so that was before that really even became yeah. a big thing yeah like you know 50 mile diet or you know yeah. less than that and you were going 15 miles 15 miles and how did you become a chef like i was how do you do that? yeah so i was self self-taught um yeah. we started out my my grandmas kind of helped raise me and they were both I mean, very old school, you know, housewives and um, homemakers, and they always had me right next to them, never corrected me, always showed me, let me try, and I fell in love with food from a really young age. I was just this tiny little itty-bitty thing, and I just loved to eat, and I always mm. have, <laughs> and um, so we, you know, I fell in love with it through that, and then feeding my own family, and then learning more, and I am a, I'm a life learner, so I'm always reading. And in that season, I was reading cookbooks, and I was reading about chefs, and learning how to cook things from, you know, like taking a whole piece of meat and breaking it down and making it into a million different things. And so I started to do that for some friends. They'd have a party, they'd invite me over, like, could you do this for us? And my husband, Brian, said, you should probably start making some money doing this. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. And so we got into the wedding scene. That was how it kind of started. Okay. Yeah. And I had a friend who tossed me a side job one time for a dinner party for four people. And um, I started cooking in Semiamu, a community near us, mm -hmm. in home for people. Wow. And from there, it just grew and it continued to propel itself. And um, when during that season, working with those farmers and those other providers and um I fell in love with farming even mm. deeper than I had been as a kid. Uh, I loved going to the field and collecting lettuce greens from those farmers. I loved asking questions about why they were doing what they were doing and um, what made them choose to grow a specific veggie or a specific type of animal or how they did this or that. And um, Brian and I kind of started to make a plan for early retirement that we would have a farm someday. So all of our conversations for that, well, really for the past 15 years before we bought the farm was all about the farm someday when we're on the farm. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how it started. And then it all happened sooner than expected. Yeah. Uh, what was the journey? Yeah. So, um, we were kind of like in this, in 2019, we we're kind of in this stage where we were planning a really large move, both for Brian corporately and his job and for our, for our family, um, to kind of, uh, uproot our whole family and kind of pursue what we thought would um, kind of support us to someday pursue this dream with financial freedom, you yeah. know, um, with make some, some money. Make some money first. So, so that you we have could the spend the money. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> and um, so we were kind of on this trajectory, really excited. We had traveled and made plans and really scouted it out. And then 2020 happened. And, you know, the world kind of changed. So where were you going to go? Uh, New Jersey. That was the plan. That's a move. Yeah, a, a giant move. Um, and so, yeah, we went there and looked at communities and houses and started, you know, I even went with him. He had to work for a couple of days in New Jersey. So I went along and took the train in New York City to see if I could do it by myself. Yeah. Like these things that, you know, you, you, I'm a planner. I got to know if yeah. it's going to work or not. So, yeah, that was, that was the plan. So how did it change? Obviously the pandemic happened, but what was yeah. it like, I guess, on the ground, so to speak, with like yeah. suddenly we're going in a different direction? Yeah, so everybody, obviously our kids are 
at school from home. Brian is for the first time in 18 years working from home. Um, his job previously had him on the road probably a week out of the month. And so mm. he's traveling a lot and just in a very like high stress role. Um, and now he's home with our family every day and loving it, you know, and I'm mm -hmm. home every day. And he came upstairs one day from his office and he said, I don't want to do the plan anymore. Mm. And I, Oh my goodness, Dylan. I was like, okay, wait, can we define the plan <laughs> and what we're not doing? <laughs> like, um, and he said, I don't want to like, I don't want to climb the ladder anymore. I don't want to pursue this like the high powered ladder. dream. Yeah. Like I, and so that really changed things. I mean, we had spreadsheets and projections and huge giant plans on how we were going to achieve this goal of the farm. And, um, because well, you're a planner and he's uh -huh. what like a finance guy, yeah he's right? a spreadsheet guy like <laughs> excel all the things i cannot do like i'm the dreamer yeah. he's like okay let's figure out how this actually well, happens you have to have both yes yeah you we're do. a good mix in that way awesome yeah so uh pretty much overnight we decided we weren't gonna we weren't gonna do the plan anymore and then uh july of that year we went away for a few days um and we kind of deconstructed our whole life hmm. Uh, and then we came home in August and sold our house and bought a firm. And we moved here in October of 2020. Was that scary? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was going through your head at that time? Uh, well, originally, I think we thought, well, we'll just buy the quote unquote farm. We'll buy the land. We'll buy the right. barn. We'll buy the, you know, we'll buy the thing. Yep. And then we'll slowly you know, put our toe in the water and yeah. figure out what we're going to do. Um, so that, that was, that worked for a few months. And then in January of 2021, Brian got laid off. They eliminated his job across the country. And so, oh uh, that was doubly scary, terrifying. I mean, just absolutely terrifying. Um, and so we kind of went through that stage of him like kind of phasing out of regular work and then he took six months off and we built the farm hmm. we cleaned it up this place um was had been owned for 50 years prior to us by the same family and um so we cleaned it up and made it our own and put fences in and um just really dreamed together and bought animals and started it up all knowing that brian would go back to work and i would be the full-time farmer yeah which was um, something that just kind of happened. <laughs> yeah. And you were probably thinking, okay, we're putting this all together. How am I going to do this by myself? Yeah. If he's got to you know, work the day job. Yeah. And really, I mean, there was that thought. And then there was the thought of like, oh my gosh, I'm doing this. And then there was the thought of like, oh my goodness, this is a dream I never even thought I could have. Yeah. And then there was the, oh my goodness, we were supposed to do this together in 10 years. <laughs> like two human beings working this situation. Yeah. Um, and then there's been this beautiful season of the last, I'd really say the last eight or nine months of like, oh wow, this is really working. And you just kind of rolled with it. Yeah. At some point you had to, like when did the like, okay, we got to figure out how to sell this food that we're growing. When did that part start? Yeah. So the spring of, um, of last year, I was like, oh, we're going to have a CSA. That's what we're going to do. And oh, we're going to start a lamb. We're going to grow lamb and we're going to sell lamb. And 
oh, well, you're going to be home, so we're going to do pasture chicken, poultry and sell some chicken. Like, I knew how to do that. Um, and then it was immediately evident to me, oh, we started a business and I need to sell it. <laughs> uh, which, I mean, we it was crazy. You know, I think sometimes when people start a small business, they think, oh, our friends, it'll be our friends that buy all our food. And that we do have, you know, friends previously before the farm that do buy food from us but it's primarily been local folks that have found us as an option and continue to um support us how do they usually find you instagram really it's wild uh 90 i think we're at like 97 percent of our businesses come from instagram and we have sold everything that we've tried to sell and that's amazing (laughs) It is amazing. Something that wouldn't have been possible yeah. back right. 20 years ago when yeah. we were all just out of high school. Yeah, you know, when you talk to my dad, he's like, oh, you're on your phone. Like, why are you filming these stories? Who cares? You yeah. know, and I'm like, it's dad, work. people, this is part of my job. This you makes know? me money. Yeah, it's not yeah. the little nickel or like at the auction barn on a bulletin the board. little nickel. Yeah, remember the little nickel? The, the classified paper yeah. that you'd find at like Dairy Queen or wherever. Right. We're not selling food that way anymore. <laughs> <laughs> at least we're not. Yeah, and the the farmers market scene is challenging too. A lot of people are like, yeah. oh, farmers markets are so wonderful, and they, there is something that's wonderful about them. But I talk with people who do that scene a lot and rely on that, and it takes a lot of their time. Yes, and then they're like, that's time I can't be on the farm. Yes, and then I can only sell so much at the farmers market. Yes, and there's fees to be there, and it's. Yes. It's not as easy as it sounds from the outside. No, I think really, you know, to make a farmer's market really successful, it's hard as a, like a sole proprietor, like a s- one person. Like I have to be here. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I totally. think to make a market scene work, you kind of have to have a market person, like a, a person on your staff or an employee, which we do not have, <laughs> yeah. to run that for you because it's a full-time job. You know, yeah. it's a big, it's a big undertaking. Well, and then you have to grow that much bigger and do right. that much more to be able to support that additional job. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. We're happy with how things are going right now. We support about 20 families food-wise. Um, and uh, we feel like we can do that well, you know, so. Do you still do any cooking chef yeah. stuff? This has been a, an ongoing um, part of our goal for next year is to build a commercial kitchen here on the farm. Mm-hmm. So that we can offer more classes to teach people how to use their food in ways that, um, you know, provide for them more long term. Um, but also to be able to, so that I can cook and uh, and share our food in different ways with different people. So, yeah, What's your food journey been? You know, I think our whole society has been on kind of a food journey, realizing, learning new things about food. Yeah. And not just the importance of local, but nutrition and flavors and cultural influence that, you know, again, back when we were in high school, there wasn't nearly as much of that, at least in the little town that we grew up in. 100%. But that's spreading and people want to try different flavors and different things. They Mm -hmm. want local food. They have a different perspective on nutrition. What's your journey been on that? What do you really, have you come to value? Yeah. um, You know, I feel, I tell people, I feel wealthy when I have a full freezer. And um, that might seem kind of strange to people. But uh, if my bank account's empty and I have a full freezer of beef and chicken and frozen spinach and green beans and carrots and things put up in cans like peaches and applesauce and 
I know that if a hard season comes, I can feed my family. That makes me feel wealthy, and that makes me feel like um, we have a little bit of security around us. Um, And so if I can educate people on how to do that for themselves, um, that makes me feel like I'm really sharing something valuable. Like, you know, I can share you, I can sell you a basket full of veggies that lasts you for groceries for a week, you know, that you can't do anything with besides eat. And that's valuable and it's full of nutrition and things that you can be proud of for yourself. And I can be proud of too. But if I can teach you how to do the next step, you know, where you don't have to worry about the store being out of hamburger and now you've got hamburger for the year and there's no panic for you then when you enter the grocery store, like that brings me so much joy. I feel like we've done it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially what we all just went through with the pandemic and 100% empty shelves for the first time in our lifetimes. Yeah. Suddenly this whole food security thing was driven home in kind of a scary way. 100%. Yeah. How many customers kind of connected with you through that time because of all that? Yeah. So when we started the farm, we were kind of coming out of the scariest part of that. I mean, obviously it's still going on. Yeah. Whether we want to honor it or not, it really is. And um, food shortage or whatever is going on is still happening. Um, But I think that has been maybe inadvertently some of the benefit for people is seeing what it looks like to come home with a quarter beef or seeing what it looks like to come home with a lamb or seeing what it looks like to have whole chickens that you can put in your freezer and then learn how, oh, I can like make more products from this than just a white chicken breast. Right, for sure. Yeah. And I think it's been more of a backwards approach. Like we're definitely not trying to market ourselves as, you know, here's how you gain your food security or something like that. I think it's been a secondary realization for people and I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. How did you learn how to grow all this stuff? Yeah. If you hadn't been doing that in the past. Yeah. Um, So growing up, my parents always had, you know, the big garden and grew all the things. And um, my grandparents that we uh, shared property with, they were rhododendron farmers Mm. And they had a growing background. And so I always kind of, you know, grew up around it. My mom had a big dahlia garden, a dahlia farm. And so growing wasn't new to me. But we didn't grow any of our own meat. We, My dad, you know, got beef from a farmer who had to put a cow down or something mm-hmm. like that, you know. And the very typical way to feed your family. Um, and uh, But when my kids were small and you know, the early 2000s, mid-2000s, uh, 2007, 2008. My friend and I, she bought a small farm on Van Dyke Road, just mm. a three-acre farm. And uh, we decided that we were going to try to be one of those crazy people that, like, didn't buy anything except pantry items for a year. So her and I kind of, like, looked crazy among everyone, but yeah. we learned how to grow pastured poultry we learned how on her three acres to go out and deal with these poopy birds like in this little chicken tractor for nine weeks and then we butchered it all then we figured out like oh well if we grow this much more we can get our chicken for free and so we went through that process and then on top of it we decided oh well we could probably do pigs so we learned how to do pigs and we learned how to garden and we we you know built on some skills she had in canning you know from her mom and you really like put it to work 
Well, how valuable was that yeah. experience then for what you're doing now? I mean, yeah. did you have any idea you're basic? You were basically doing boot camp for no. this. <laughs> I had no idea. I was just like. <laughs> The crazy mom gleaning, like, you know, my kids, mom, other, other moms from school would be like, oh, we've got a pear tree we don't use. I'm like, oh, we'll be over there. My kids are like picking up like boxes of pears from their ground, you know, and we're going home and canning them for hours into the evening. Yep. Um, I had no idea what it was preparing me for. It was just something I was passionate about and wanted to give a try, you know. And so were you able to keep growing stuff all along? I've or? always had a small garden. Even when we lived in town, you know, I could grow carrots and um yep. Lots. Of, I always love to grow tomatoes. I just find so much joy in growing a tomato. It tastes the best, and it's just like a miracle every time you get one. Um, yep. And greens and lettuce and things like that. Yep. I've always liked to garden, you know, and even just keeping my yard, you know, things like that. It's been a, a huge joy. My parents have always had a yard that looks like a park, and um, so it's something that came really natural to me, the growing piece and the cultivating piece and managing something in a way that you can be proud, so... Mm-hmm. What do your kids think of all of this? Yeah. Because they're growing up. Yeah, we have a 19-year-old and a 17-year-old. And uh, so when back in 2020 when we decided to, you know, uproot our entire life, they just had our, um, they just had one year and two years left of high school. So we just said, you know, we don't have to do this right now <laughs> because we are asking them to move 30 minutes outside of town, change our entire life. And yeah. um, they were like, that sounds great. Let's do it. You know, well, and going into that, they probably recognize, well, we're going to remote learning for school anyway. Yeah, so it was the perfect season for yeah. them to say yes. And I'm really gl- grateful for that piece. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Yeah. What's been the hardest thing in this whole journey? Oh, man, I guess I just didn't. Um, I realized how hard it was going to be on some levels. And then there's other levels I had no idea. And I think the connection to the land and my animals that I have is something that I couldn't have prepared myself for. Mm. I think when our land suffers or when an animal suffers or we lose an animal, um, it's definitely part of the journey and it's something that is quote unquote normal, but I feel it. And, um, I feel it on a different, on a different level than I would have even understood I could. So for example, we went through lambing season this last spring. It was our first major lambing season on the farm and, um, I am out there in the barn at all hours, birthing lambs and making sure everybody's okay and bottle feeding lambs. And you're the midwife. I'm the midwife. You're the nurse. I've yeah. never done this before, Dylan. I've never, I never, you know, birthed a lamb before. Everything is learned from a book or yep. a friend or watching something. And now I'm, I'm having to make these calls. Like, when do I pull one? When don't I? Yeah. Is she done? Is she not done? You know, should I bring her in the barn? Should she be in the field for a while? And, you know, we've had hard calls. I had a, a, um, I have one ewe that produces two 15-pound lambs, twins here, which is a lot of lamb. And we were in a situation where she had one. I came out to the barn. She'd had the first one and the second one. I'm trying to make this decision. Like, is she need me to pull it? Does she not? And in the end, we lost that second lamb. You know, and it's a really humbling experience to realize that you're the one that's in charge, but you're not necessarily the one that's in control. Yeah. And that's kind of farming in a nutshell. And at least for me, and I think that's been the hardest thing for me to learn. Yeah. So how do you emotionally, how do you deal with that? Yeah. I mean, realizing, first of all, that it's part of the process 
And yep. I learned something from it. Even if I just learned, even if the only thing I learned is how much I love what I'm doing, that's valuable. Because when you're out here and it's minus 10 and you're hauling water to the barn, you've got to love it or you're not going to keep doing it. <laughs> like you yep. fall on the ice with two buckets of water and like you, uh, you know what Ouch. I mean? Like you got to get up and you got to keep going. And like, it's not a martyr moment. It's a, it's a moment of passion. I love these animals. I love this place. I love what I'm doing. It's a gift. And so in those moments when I, when I lose something or I, um, you know, we experience those deep loss or disappointment. Uh, if all I learned is that it's still worth doing, that's enough. Yeah. Yeah. But it's got to be emotional. Oh, for sure. I cry a lot. I saw something online. Someone said, uh, you know, real farmers don't cry. And I was like, that is the biggest crock. Like, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there might be guys out there doing it that aren't crying, but I can't imagine. I I mean, uh, there are days that I go out and I cry a lot, you know. We lost our greenhouse uh, this spring. One of our biggest losses was... um, we have a big hoop house and we got 60 mile an hour winds out here on the plains. And we were in town at the farm store and our, our son calls and says, I think you should come home. The hoop house is going to blow away and we can hear this loud noise of plastic, you know, oh, in man. the background. And so we come home and it is just ripping. And so my husband's climbing up on top of the hoop house as it's blowing and I'm trying to hold the plastic getting blown all over the place. And on top of this, all every single one of my starts is blowing across our field. I mean, six weeks of work, countless hours and tending and things that I can't replace are gone, just gone. And uh, that's emotional. Yeah. I think I think the time is the thing that people don't maybe understand or gets lost or missed is that um, when you get you know a head of lettuce from the grocery store. For a farmer, they've probably planned for the last nine months to a year for that one head of lettuce. And they've put in countless hours to budget for, pay for, receive the seed. Then, you know, they plant the seed, they start the seed, they grow the seed, they plant the seed again. You know, they plant the start now. And then they water it and they take care of it and they manage bugs and they manage the earth and they manage the weather or they try to. (laughs) And then you got to sell it. And yeah. that, that had a lettuce. You got to harvest it. Ex- you got to market it. Yes. Clean it or process it or bag it or whatever. It's, yeah. So when you got a loss and you think about the time, that's emotional. That's emotional. You're not going to get it back. Um, yeah. yeah. But you can quit or you can keep going. And then when you, when you have success after that, I mean, I don't like to be like a, you know, silver lining type of person actually at all, but there is an amount of joy that is just multiplied by being able to come back from it and try again. People don't realize that emotional part because it is personal. Yeah. And even, you know, for a small farm, big farms too. Yes. And you're exactly right about this crock Mm -hmm. that farmers don't cry. Yeah. I remember talking a few episodes ago with Ron Tebow over in Moses Lake. And he's an old farmer. He's been through a lot of stuff. Sure. He shared his story about, you know, near-death experience and all these super difficult things that he's been through. Yet when he's talking about those calves a few winters ago, mm-hmm. of his beef, and he lost a certain, like, you know, talking about calves dying in his arms as he's out in the snow trying yeah. to save them, mm-hmm. probably putting his own health and safety at risk. 100%. And he was getting choked up, still talking about the memory of that years later. Yeah. And this is what you would think is an old tough 
farmer guy. Yeah. I, I think That's real. It is so real. And I think it comes with, again, another maybe misconception or something that could be talked more about is this isn't just a job. Like, this is a lifestyle. And there's nothing that happens in my personal life that doesn't affect the farm. And there's nothing that happens on the farm that doesn't affect my quote unquote personal life. There's yeah. not a great divide. There's very little divide. And in fact, most of it's overlapping, you know? And so it is emotional and it is personal, you know, and you do feel it all. So. What's your vision? What's your dream from here? Hmm. In some ways you're already living your dream. Yeah. What does the future hold? Um, I think the future here holds um, a, maybe another depth of experience, you know, right now, there's still a disconnect between the farm and that's kind of the market farmer experience too, right? Is people are still going to a parking lot or a blacktop street to buy veggies. And that's not where vegetables are grown. That's not yeah. where meat is grown. And so I think continuing to build on an experience where our friends, our customers, you know, we call our customers our friends um, here on the farm, have an opportunity to truly connect with this place and truly connect where their food is being grown and um, I think that is, we're working on that right now. Uh, we have a big plan that we're rolling out next year called a, f a year of food from the farm hmm. where we're giving people an opportunity to essentially buy not just a share of veggies, but a, a share of every piece of harvest next year. Hmm. Um, and then throughout the year, giving them an opportunity to visit and come and be yeah. here and meet the animals and see the field and see the different stages that happen here instead of just receiving, you know, a bunch of lettuce or a bunch of carrots or, um, you know, traveling to the butcher to pick up their quarter beef. It's like, no, there's a real place here. Um, so I think we've focused a lot so far on, you know, teaching people where their food comes from. Now I want them to see it and feel it. Um, and that takes more time and energy, yeah. but it, I think it's going to be worthwhile. Now you guys do do dinners like right yeah. here. Yeah. We're sitting at one of the tables. Yeah. That's what the lights are for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How often do you do those and how does that go? We just had our first one. We hosted our friends. So I write for a magazine called Edible in Lynn Northwest and mm -hmm. um, they let me share the farm experience there, which I think is hilarious and awesome. And i just feel so privileged to be able to be a part of yeah. their publication um, because I am not near as fancy as the other people that they <laughs> they allow to fill those pages and I just love it. So we hosted a dinner for them um, as friends uh, a couple weeks back where we gave them an actual true farm to table experience. I butchered the chickens the night before and broke them down and then created a meal out of them. So I think about 85% of the meal came from right here and then they ate at these tables, you know, just the lamb, the, the chicken is right grown from yeah. the farm right here in this field. And, um, and that was, you know, for an entirely do different group of people than our regular client list. Yeah. People that are looking for a different experience, but we're able to give some exposure to something that they would have never had touch with, you know? Yeah. Um, I'm hoping to grow that. The kitchen we want to build is a huge part of that. Yeah, um, sure. it's, uh, but a, a really neat opportunity, and I think there's a great market for it. So, Thank you for having me here to the farm. Oh, my goodness. Uh, this, this is a really cool place, and Thanks. what you guys are doing is awesome. Um, and yeah, thank you for, for taking the scary jump to do it. I yeah. mean, I appreciate every single person out there who's doing that because I think there are so many benefits that come from that. You know, feeding people, getting more people, you know, even if 
you aren't feeding them or they aren't on the farm even for them to just follow along on social media and learn a few things about where their food comes from. So, and I know that takes a lot of work as you're explaining on your part. And at this point, it's like, we're just breaking even, you know, which I'm sure sometimes can be like, why are we doing all this just to break (laughs) even? But again, you have the passion, you have the vision, you're looking to the future. So thank you for investing that, all that, uh, all those parts of you into this and all that time to make it happen. Yeah, it's our privilege. Thank you. This is the Real Food, Real People podcast. These are the stories of the people who grow your food. 